Hello, friends. This is Derek Kistner, founder and executive director of the Greater Peoria House of Prayer. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Whether you're hearing from me, my wife Mandy, or a trusted leader, it's my hope that it would serve you well in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you're listening at home here in central Illinois, maybe in your vehicle, or even somewhere on the other side of the world. However you're tuning in or wherever you are, it's my prayer that what you hear helps you to love God, His Word, His Spirit, His Church, and the people you interact with each and every day. Thanks again for listening, and may the grace of God fill your heart as you listen to the following message. Well, Lord, we just once again, we thank you for, God, just another night to worship and pray together, Lord. Another night to get in your word. And Lord, I just ask, Holy Spirit, help us to hear what you're saying right now to us as individuals and to us as a community and as a nation and even as the global church. Help us to discern what you're saying, God. Give us ears to hear what you're saying to your churches in this very moment of time in the name of Jesus Amen. I'm going to turn this up a little bit because if I don't get a green light, it's not good on Facebook. I think we're going to be okay, though. I think we'll be all right. Yeah, there we go. Okay, Second Chronicles 7, 12 to 14. Let me give a little background first. I'm calling this Healing the Land, God's Promise, and Our Response. Healing the Land, God's Promise, and Our Response. Second Chronicles 7. We did. We read it last night, and I said I might even preach on it, and here we be. I've got to get a little more situated here. I'm, I'm going to need that. Okay, so we, we know the story, Second Chronicles. David says, I want to build you a temple, Lord. And God says, uh, no thanks, I don't need a temple. <laughs> but it was good that it was in your heart. And God says, matter of fact, your son's going to build me a temple. And so like a good father, what does David do? And, and this is no reference to the David and the odd. Does it ever feel weird when you're like always preached on? Okay, it's just normal for you. So David does what a good father does. He gets everything ready as much as he can. Then Solomon's born and he takes over the kingship and he says, I'm going I'm to do this. He builds the temple and so that's what we see in Second Chronicles 5 and 6. They, they get the thing finally built. And I love the little recap in chapter 6. It says, you know, kind of gives the history. The Lord said to my father, David, it was in your heart to build a temple. You did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, uh, you shall not build the temple. Your son will. And on and on. So I love that little recap there. So then Solomon builds it. It's this, you know, beautifully ornate, you know, like huge cathedral-like kind of building that we would call it, you know, we'd call it a cathedral or something like that. Or that's how we would think of it. But we get to, uh, it's built, and Solomon wants to dedicate the temple. And so we have a prayer recorded in Second Chronicles 6. And, you know, he does a couple prayers and a bunch of things happen. Then we get to Second Chronicles 7. And I just love this because this is the Old Testament. I mean, if you think of a quote-unquote church service in the Old Testament, we don't think of the fire of God. But when we get to Second Chronicles 7, 
I mean, Moses' face shone with the glory of God in the Old Testament. When Solomon prayed, fire fell in the Old Testament. And I just think to myself, how much more are we supposed to see under the new covenant? We get to the uh, seventh chapter, it says, Solomon finishes praying, fire comes from heaven, consumes the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and it says, the glory of the Lord fills the temple. I want to be in that church. <laughs> I was like, well, what did they do right back then that we're doing wrong right now? I'd really like to be in that service. Again, I can't get my mind around that. That's, that's you know, we think that's like old school, old covenant, but God met with them. And then it says the priests couldn't even enter the house of the Lord because the glory had filled the Lord's house. There's this thick manifestation and the children of Israel begin singing. They see the fire and the glory. They bow their face. He is good, mercy. I mean, imagine that happening. And there's almost something anticlimactic about all of that happening. I think on a human level, part of me would be like, this is a bit much, but wow, this is incredible. I, I, don't, I don't know, but I just think, man, that's a lot happening. But I love what happens later in the chapter because this would be me. I, I put myself in that story. I would just kind of, okay, I'm Solomon. I have this incredible wealth. We build this huge building. The fire falls. The glory fills the temple. I need a little bit of assurance that this is real and God's really going to meet me in this place because it's kind of like when you go to the big conference and there's tens of thousands of people and you, you experience God there and that's awesome, but it's like, what about tomorrow and the next day and the next day? Is this real? Like, am I going to keep? And maybe that was in Solomon's heart. I don't know, but it would be in my heart because I always, I'm like, I appreciate the huge mega big deal stuff, but... I got to pay bills tomorrow. I got to raise my kids. I got, this has to be real tomorrow. And so the Lord, he says, okay, let's go to verse 12. The Lord gives Solomon a dream. The Lord appeared to Solomon by night, says to him, Solomon, I want you to know, I really heard that prayer. Okay. And I want you to know, I have really chosen this place you've built me. I just love that he kind of doubles down on that. I, I really, I know it was kind of a big showy thing and you prayed this big prayer because all the people were there and you were hoping I was going to do something, but I, I actually did hear that. And Solomon's like, yay, cool. I heard your prayer and, and this temple, it's real. Like I'm really going to meet my people here. And so suddenly you kind of have this foreboding sense of, okay, this is legit. This is something. And God says, this is a place for myself as a house of sacrifice. And so I love verse 12 because it's almost like the Lord's anticipating maybe the human dynamic. I try to always think of that because on a very micro scale, when you do a tiny little prayer room, you kind of wonder things like this. You know, is this really doing stuff? I mean, I know you've, you've said to do it and, you know, you put this building here and does it really matter that we show up every night and do this? And Yeah, it, it, I hear these prayers. And what you do, I like, and it's, it's important. Anyway, 
He says all this, and then he kind of gives a by-the-way statement. He says, Solomon, by the way, if there ever comes a time when I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. It's kind of a, ooh, this started good, but now it's getting bad. Again, it's kind of a night vision or a dream or whatever happened there. He says, I just want you to know, this place is real. I heard your prayers. It's a house of sacrifice. But if there ever comes a time where there's famine, there's no rain, locusts devour everything, or there's a pestilence, I just want you to know there is a way out of it. Solomon's probably like, okay, you know, when you're in that night dream vision thing, whatever he's going through, it says the Lord appeared to Solomon by night. He's trying to process this, and I'm sure he got up the next day and, you know, processed it. But he says, if my people, again, this is the verse we always hear, but I like to give the backstory. He says, if my people, Solomon, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Solomon, you've got a great big temple and I, I love it and I'm gonna move here and I'm gonna, it's important. You know, they got the Ark of the Covenant in there, they got the law in there, it's just a, everything's, it's important. But he gives this what-if scenario that I think we have fast-forward in church history till now. I think we've probably heard this verse or said the part of this verse so many hundreds and thousands of times, we don't quite really connect to what God's actually saying. Of course, this is a promise to a man named Solomon. It's a promise to the people Israel. And it's a promise to anybody who will take God at his word and say, you know what, yeah, this is happening. Uh, We need a way out. And it's almost like God knew what he was talking about. You know, certainly Jesus in Matthew uh, 24, was it, or 25, when he says that there will be wars and rumors of war and pestilences and all these things, he says, don't worry, it's just going to happen. Those are birth pangs. And yet, we don't just take this view of what's happening in the world and just say, oh, it's all going to happen anyway. We take, as I believe as a church or as believers, we take a view of, okay, God's doing this or allowing this to wake people up, but we have a responsibility to go, God, we know that you can do two things at once. We know you're waking us up, but you also want to answer our prayers for you to move with healing. And I think that's what God's trying to awaken us to today in this season. Let me just go through verse 13 again. When I shut the heavens and there is no rain, you know, I think of out west. There's there's so many fires right now and there's so many uh, unprecedented amounts of Fire, and in fact, if you you know you look through the news, what's happening in Oregon or California or all the the western states, 
They're calling this unprecedented. They've never seen it before, the amount of fires. And what people are praying for is they're praying for rain. I mean, there, there is a need for rain there, at a, at a, and, and it's so urgent. And I think, I have so many thoughts, Lord, help me. I think so much is happening this year that we're forgetting our responsibility. It's like so many fires all over. It's like, oh my gosh, that's one of the things God, if, if there is a need for rain. Now, uh, I've done some research this week and the estimates of, of the amount of famine that is gonna touch the world due to this pandemic I'm just, I'll just even, I've got a few pictures I took. Um, this was uh, done in April. An article by CNN says, coronavirus pandemic will cause global famines of biblical proportions. That's what the United Nations is saying. The coronavirus pandemic will cause global famines of biblical proportions. If you want to look into this, just type in famines 2020. There is famine globally that's unprecedented happening right this year. There are fires in our own nation, unprecedented. God says, and if, I, if there's pestilence, let me go to uh, the Merriam-Webster here. Merriam-Webster defines the pestilence, this may sound familiar, as a contagious or infectious epidemic disease that is virulent and devastating. That's what a pestilence is, a contagious or infectious epidemic disease that is virulent and devastating. So if you read this verse, if there's ever a need for rain, if there's pestilence among my people, if there's locusts, by the way, I looked this up too, locusts are swarming in record numbers in 2020. The biblical locust plagues of 2020, that's NPR, that's BBC, this is all happening right now. I'm not making this up. And almost nobody is talking about this. Everything in this verse, everything Jesus talks about, this is exploding. And almost, I hear almost no one saying, time out, we can't just do church as normal. There, there are alarms screaming in the earth right now. And so many people are just trying to run the regular thing. Keep it running. Just keep it running. Just keep it running. We got we to gotta just keep it running. And I feel like the Lord is saying, find it somewhere in Scripture. But I've said it here and I've said it there. When there is a need for rain, when there are locusts, when there are virulent diseases devastating, here's what you do. In fact, we've quoted this so much, we've said it so much, we've had so many conferences, we've had so much, I think it's lost meaning. And I carry this burden in my heart, guys. Maybe you do too, I think you do. We're all probably all of kindred spirit here. If there were ever a season in history where I would say 2 Chronicles 7.13 is happening, it's happening right this hour. I mean, come on, yell at me if I'm wrong or some throw a tomato at me or something, but we are in the middle of a global pandemic with biblical proportion locust plagues, famine breaking forth in the, 
Secular media is saying this is of a proportion that is, we're calling it biblical. When there's need for rain, what do I do? What do we do? God said, if you're my people, if you're called by my name, humble yourself. Humble yourself. Guys, I think, I think I'm, I'm trying not to be critical. I'm trying not to be, you know, I, I, I have about three people who care what I actually say. But this is a season in the history of planet Earth where we need to pray so much more. And I feel like so many, it's like, okay, we want to get, again, we need teaching, we need podcasts, we need people giving their take on this or that, but ultimately, that should pale in comparison to our prayer life. God says, if you humble yourself and you pray and you really do seek my face, it will make a difference in the land. Is how I interpret that. He gives four or five qualifiers. I'm promising you, I will heal, I will touch the whole geographic area. But it's contingent on your prayers. It's contingent on your humility. It's contingent, will you seek my face? It's contingent, will you turn away from wickedness? I preached this a couple years ago during one of our hear and obey gatherings. And I said, this is essentially the four or five things no Christian wants to do. We don't want to be more humble. We don't want to give more time to prayer. We don't want to give enough time to seek the face of God. And we don't want to turn from our compromise. And so the land doesn't get healed. Because God knows, he says, I really want to get at you. And so I'm going to give you the four or five things. These are the ones that, these are the real, because here's the thing. We'll go to meetings. Well, there's a lot of things we do. And what we'll, we're willing to do, but, but pray? Humble ourselves? Tell people, I was wrong there. Turn away from compromises? Lord, we don't want you to touch our compromises. I just want a couple idols. I don't want 10 idols like that guy, but I at least want one or two. Lord, Lord's like, no, I, 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 I'm talking to you about this idol. I'm talking to you about this compromise. I'm talking to you about your prayer life. Here's the thing. This is what I've learned doing prayer room for six or seven years now. There is something that prayer does that just guts us from the inside out. And that's why a lot of people, they give up because they thought they were going to be amazing because they prayed. And God thought, well, I want to break you all the way down so that my life can shine through you. And they didn't really sign up for the right reason. This is what I've learned. Prayer weakens us. Prayer breaks us in a deep internal way where we're wounded and limping and we actually need God. There's a poverty of spirit that's born on the inside when we just keep going after God. And the people who just kind of want to, I just want to be amazing and I want, you know, more open doors and money and things like that, they just don't, it doesn't jive because they keep running into God. And God's like, ooh, I want you more humble. I, I want that area of your life. I want your money. I want everything. <laughs> and it's, it's like he's inviting the nations of the earth. Certainly, this is a promise to Israel. This is a promise to Gentile nations who love the Lord. This is a promise to the church. This is a promise to people who say, God, 
Our land is on fire. There is a virus. There are locusts. Is there a way? And he says, yeah, there's a way. It's called the church gathers, twos or threes or as many as who can. You humble yourself. You pray. You seek my face. Turn from wickedness. Guys, I'm just the messenger tonight. I'm not perfect, but I got to say it. This is what God said. This is not an opinion. There are so many experts out there saying their take on things. There are so many so-called prophets. There are so many people writing blog posts. I'm just going to go with God. I'm going to go with the, the good book. You guys probably feel a little bit of my pain or a little bit of my agitation maybe. All of this is happening. And I just feel like, oh, how do we not... We are so obsessed with politics right now uh, uh, in our nation, I'm saying. We are so obsessed with seeking the face of someone besides God. We are so, there's so many things we're obsessing over. And the Lord's like, I really need you to re-divert attention. Like, Like, how many crises need to happen before we're like, oh yeah, that really is happening. Now, this isn't a fun message, but I don't think it's really a fun time. (laughs) This is such a crazy time. Here's the good news, friends. I believe that what we do matters and that if we in this room or those on Facebook or those in our community, if we will give an honest effort to be humble, to pray, to seek the face of God, to turn from our compromises. I believe we do make a difference. And I think we can make a difference in our community. And I think central Illinois can experience a measure of healing if the church does this. And I think the church in America, if we actually did this, it would affect America. I think the church in all the different nations, if we really did this, it would affect the the land. I don't know how long I've been going here. How many years, okay, how many years did the Israelites circle around in the wilderness? How many years was that? Forty. How many years did they need to circle around in the wilderness? Ten. <laughs> A couple? There are certain, I think honestly we get stuck We assume, well, God will just wave his hand and the pandemic will leave. I think some levers, we really do influence. And because we don't know, we just don't take it serious. I think there are things happening that we really can reduce the severity and the longevity if we do this. And again, Jesus says, two or three, I'm there. We think like it doesn't have to be a stadium full to get God's attention. It can just be a few of us. Do you need mom's phone? Okay. And so really, my goal tonight isn't to go line by line necessarily. It's just to highlight this is a really key passage. It's a really key moment. And so what is the Holy Spirit saying to us? In my thinking right now, we need more people taking personal prayer seriously and the two to three to four gatherings more seriously because if every church in town said, look, we're going to have five-person prayer meetings every night, that would massively impact central Illinois. If every church in America, and I say that because I live in America, 
But if, if every church in every nation said, we're going to just pray every night, I have a sneaky suspicion that the land would get healed quicker because God promised it. But it's not a, it's not a promise that just he'll just do. It's a promise that requires our participation. It's contingent on our response. You guys have heard the quote, God does his part and we do our part. God won't do ours and we can't do his. Who here can just wave their hand and heal America? Nobody. No, I mean, France just went down on a lockdown again. It's, the cases have gotten so severe they had a terrorist attack. Birth pangs, boom, boom. But we don't resign to, oh, it's inevitable. No, we preach the gospel of the kingdom. We do what the church is supposed to do and we pray because God desires to have mercy on our nation. I think to myself, what are people thinking right now? There is crazy stuff happening, and if the church isn't going to act like the church, where are they going to go? Because here's the thing. God's not expecting people who aren't called by his name to call on him. <laughs> he's expecting people who are called by the name of Jesus. He's, he's expecting his people to pray right now. He's not putting the responsibility on the shoulders of unbelievers saying, oh, if you unbelievers, they don't know to pray. We, as God's people, have been given the responsibility to pray. And that's on us. Man, I don't want to get to heaven and kind of have this blood on my hands kind of, you know, guilt where it's like, yeah, you were in it and you saw it and you said nothing and you prayed nothing. I don't want that on my conscience. And so again, we're all weak, right? I can't just come here 24-7 and be a 24-7 prayer room. And in my heart, I want to get there one day, but right now we're at where we're at. And so what is for you and what is for me and what is for you watching or hearing this on the recording? What is an honest effort in prayer right now? What is an honest effort in humbling yourself? Well, what does that mean? I don't know. Ask the Lord. Ask the Lord what it means. What does it mean for you to be more humble, to be prayerful, to turn from wickedness? Again, I call that compromise. What are the compromises in my life? If you look at this verse a different way, it's kind of like God saying, okay, all this is happening. Ding, 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 ding. This is your opportunity, church. This is like the, it is so clear right now. Do these things. This is the hour for you to shine and the gospel to come forth from you. But you got to be in prayer. You got to be seeking my face. You can't be obsessed with politics and seeking the face of a politician right now. You got to seek my face because I'm the one that can really pull levers and change things quickly. And I know we live in a nation where we have to vote and my wife and I voted. But let's be honest, only God has levers that can extend or diminish pandemics. Only he has the levers. So you know what? Fires are done. And I don't mean to sound insensitive. We have to do all we can, and there's scientists and firefighters doing all that they should be doing. But we, have the church, we as the church, we have an intercessory responsibility to rise up and stand in the gap and say, in the name of Jesus, we command this stuff. Go. God says, be humble, pray, intercede, seek my face. That compromise I'm always talking to you about, it's a good time to get rid of it. And then he says in verse 15, my eyes are going to be open. My ears are going to be attentive to prayer in this place. 
Let's not miss what by the Holy Spirit he's trying to communicate in this time. Because here's the thing, God doesn't change. When God spoke this to Solomon, he's essentially revealing, this is what I'm like. If things are happening, there is a way to get through it. You know, God didn't change after he said that to Solomon. That same God is who we worship. That same God cares about geographical areas. And when he sends stuff, which, let me just take five minutes on that, because this is what people are doing right now. There's a lot of division in the church. So, oh, no, God wouldn't do that. That's the devil. Well, let's just look at the text. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locust devour the land, or send pestilence. Ugh. God does that? Yeah, God does that. I thought the devil does that. Yeah, he does it too. But here's what we got to remember. God is the one that's sovereign. He's the one that has the ultimate lever. And if he goes, yeah, the devil's doing it, but he's only going to fulfill my plan. And so the devil's involved, man's involved, nature, creation, all these things are involved. But at the end of the day, God's saying, I'm in charge. Get right with me. I'm the one. I can limit Satan. I can interfere with man. I can shift nature and creation. You have to fear. You have to tremble before me. I just read through Isaiah recently, and I forget where it's. I'm going to try to find this in a snap, crackle, and pop here. <laughs> you never can find anything when you're actually talking. Maybe you've experienced that, David. I don't know. But there is a verse, the Lord had mercy on me, Isaiah 57, 15, thus says the high and lofty one. Oh, what a verse. Thus says the high and the lofty one who inhabits eternity, his name is holy. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the, of the humble. We are a nation that is crying out for revival. God says, you know how you do that? You got to be humble. Revival and humility are linked together. The healing of the land and humility linked together. We have to get on his page and we have to do his thing. Some people want to know, what do I do? I think the greatest advice I could give right now is obey what God's telling you. Find out what he's saying and do that on a family level, on a personal level, as a church or ministry, whatever you're in charge of or your sphere of influence. What's the Spirit saying? Do that. But especially heed that call to prayer. I was meeting with a pastor, I don't know, a couple months ago, and we were just talking about all kinds of stuff. And I love sharing my heart with fellow leaders just to kind of, you know, find out where people are at but I think in some ways we've bought into an illusion in our nation that because we have these catchphrases that we yell revival coming I think a lot of people think that that's bound to happen because we're like yeah revival one day great awakening and I really fear because God is certainly not obligated to do that but I think we're convinced that if we just keep saying it and the Lord's like, no, you have to be humble. You have to pray. You have to seek my face. That's how it happens. 
not catchphrases, woo! Like, it's cool to do that in a service, but when we go home, what are we living like? The Lord says, if I see humility in a people, if I see prayer in a people, if I see they're going after me, again, no one does it perfect. He doesn't expect perfection. He, he expects that we'll make mistakes. But if we make a sincere effort, he says, okay, I'll touch the land. It's real. And we pray this often here, and maybe you've heard us pray it, but why, why can't central Illinois be like a Goshen? where it's crazy everywhere else, but there's an open heaven in central Illinois. Why can't we believe for that? Why can't we believe for God to heal our land? Why can't we believe for it in America? Why can't we believe for it in the nations of the earth? Why not? You know, how, how, how did the lady know who was bleeding all of her life? How did she know touching the hem would heal her? How did she know? She just believed. How did the blind man who said, Lord, touch me, how did he know that 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 he would get healed. He just believed. That's what faith is all about. We are Christians. We are of the Christian faith. We just believe. If it's in there, if God says, I'll heal the land, we believe it. It's possible. And so that is my burden tonight. I think I've shared most of it. I just wanted to touch on it and highlight it. Let's read into this. Let's just, Lord, what does it mean for me and my family and my community? Let's be thinking about that. And with that, let me just go ahead and pray and we'll close right there. Well, Father, I've just laid out kind of the, the things that have been on my heart this week. I've laid out your word and I just pray, Holy Spirit, make it alive to us and help us to live it. I just want to pray tonight for us in this room and those who are tuning in through Facebook, those hearing this recording, Lord, I'm asking, would you make us a humble people, God? Would you make us a praying people, Lord? Would you make us a people that seeks your face? Would you help us to turn from our wicked ways? And would you heal our land, Father? Would you forgive our sins and heal our land? Lord, there's so much blood on our hands. I think of the abortions. God, I think of the murders. I think of so many. God, if we were to number our sins, it would be almost innumerable. But would you have mercy on us, God? Would you have mercy on the nations of the earth? Lord, even as we pray almost every night here, would you end this pandemic? Would you put out the fires? Would you touch those who are hungering and thirsting tonight? Lord, there's estimates of hundreds of millions that are forced into abject poverty and hunger and thirst because of this virus. I think of little kids, Father, all over Africa. I think of kids all over the world. They don't have food. Lord, would you touch our heart tonight, God? Would you help us to take up our responsibility as intercessors? to be those who will pray, Lord. We believe it will make a difference in our community and in our nation and in the earth. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. For more messages like this one, please visit our online teaching library at gphop.org teachings. If you found this free material helpful in your walk with God, please prayerfully consider a generous donation. To give, please visit gphop.org slash donate. That's gphop.org slash donate. 
thank you and may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you today.